just love uh, hearing the stories of freedom, especially as Darren does his work with DCCC. It's just amazing the connections that God is is bringing and the things that he's doing and um, all, you know the invitations Christy and I get to go spend time with people and have dinner and hear their, some of their stories. We were with a couple Saturday or Friday night I should say um, and they're from India and John and Kathy were there and got a chance to hear their story, Cassie and, and Shiva and, and the journey that they've been on to save being saved out of Hinduism and it's just unbelievable what God is doing. Amen? And that's what it is all about, and that is, why we, that is why we exist as a church, right? If you've been around our church for any length of time, you know we have this passion to share God's transforming word with the world. It's why we're so committed to missions both locally and abroad. It's why so many of our programs are outreach-focused, right? We want, everybody to come, we want everybody to come to know the love of Jesus Christ, Amen. Right? That's, that again, that's what it's about. We want to empty hell. We want to fill up heaven. We want to see people set free by the power of the gospel. We want them to know Jesus like we know Jesus. And that's why we believe that sharing our faith with others is an essential part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But we also know that can be intimidating. Right? That can be a little scary at times. Uh, we're not sure how we'll always be received. We're not sure how people will always respond. We might be afraid it'll create some tension between us and those we love or live among or work around. And so we often probably find ourselves holding back, right? Often find ourselves staying quiet maybe when we should speak up. We hope that our manner of life communicates something about Jesus, and hopefully it does. But we don't often use words, to tell people why we live the way that we do. A few years back, LifeWay Research conducted a study of unchurched Americans, and what they found was that 47% were very open to a conversation about Jesus, and an additional 31% would be open to listening to a Christian share about their faith. Two-thirds reported not just having one, but several Christian friends with whom they interact with regularly. And a third said they even admire the faith of their Christian friends. Isn't that good news? Oh, just amazing, right? Um, and, and God's given us so many opportunities, so many open doors for us to share our faith with others. But here's the not so good news. Only three in ten unchurched Americans say a Christian has shared the gospel with them. Only 3 in 10. Only 3 in 10 report being invited to be part of a local church by, another, by a Christian believer, or by a Christian, I should say. And 4 in 10 said they have never had a single spiritual conversation with a Christian believer. And so it seems, to put it in the words of Jesus, the harvest is still plentiful, but the workers are few. And that's what I, what I want to do in the time we've got this morning is to challenge you as well as equip you a little bit to share the gospel with others because we are the workers that God is calling into his harvest field. Amen? Amen. All right. So if you've got your Bibles or Bible apps, and I hope you do, uh, go ahead and open with me to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapters 25 and 26 this morning where the Apostle Paul is being given all kinds of opportunities to share his faith with those who do not yet believe, both Jew and Gentile alike. Now, if you were with us a few weeks back, you might remember that God made a promise to the Apostle Paul in Acts 23, 11. He said, take courage, Paul, for as you testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And we're seeing the fulfillment 
of that promise. As Paul has now appeared and testified before the religious authorities in Jerusalem, he's now appearing and testifying before the Roman governors uh, in Caesarea, Felix and Festus, and now the Jewish king Agrippa and his consort Bernice before being sent on to Rome uh, where he will actually get the chance to testify before Caesar. It's truly amazing when you stop to think about it, right? God is literally bringing the most powerful people in the world at the time to meet with this rather insignificant Jew, right? This insignificant former Pharisee turned political prisoner to hear the good news of the gospel. And most of the, the leaders of obscure religious cults back in those days would just be killed. They'd just be executed. They wouldn't be given the time of day. But there is something about Paul and his story that these folks find deeply compelling, right? Something about Paul's transformation from a former Pharisee and a leader among the Pharisees to now a leader among the Christians that makes them curious. What happened to a man like Paul to shift his allegiances so dramatically? That's why they keep asking him to share his story. Now think about your own life for a minute. Do you live in a way that makes people curious? Right? Do, do, you, do you live the kind of life that creates questions for people? Do they, do they wonder why you live the way that you live and, and do the things that they do, that, that you do? I remember a few years back, I was, uh, when I was in college, I guess it's more than a few years now, it's many years ago, but anyway, a buddy of mine came into town um, for the CU Nebraska game, and, and he, met, he and I met in, uh, at a camp in Maine at the summer after my freshman year where we coached together. I coached lacrosse, he coached cross country, and we hung out. We probably got drunk about every third night over the course of our three months there. We closed down the bars frequently, got into all kinds of trouble. And now he was coming to Boulder for the game and, and quite naturally wanted to hang out and kind of hit repeat on all of the fun that we had had that previous summer. The only problem was I was no longer the person I was that summer. I, I, was, I had started attending a Christian group on campus and the Holy Spirit was at work in my life and he was changing me in some pretty radical ways. I had just just about given up alcohol by this point. I was no longer out partying every night. And even though I was not yet a Christian, I was getting pretty close. Now, when I tried to share all of that with him, you can imagine how confused he became. Right? This is not the Doug wrestler I knew last summer. Right? He didn't understand. I didn't have a lot of answers, frankly, because I wasn't yet a believer myself. Didn't really understand why I was making the decisions I was making. Right? I just knew that there were changes happening in my life. Right? Again created all kinds of questions for me, for him, for the people around me. Is that true of you? Do you live in such a way that people want to know more? And how do you respond when they ask? Well, I think if we're totally honest, most of us respond with some degree of anxiety, right? I, I know I did at first, right? I, I didn't really know what to say to my friend Darren, um, much less how to explain it. Again, I wasn't sure how he would respond. And Felt like I needed to defend myself and justify my decisions rather than simply share with him what was happening in my life. Again, I wasn't a believer yet, so I didn't have the benefit of the Holy Spirit. I was on my own. And if that's how you feel, if you feel like you are on your own when it comes to sharing your faith, well, that is going to create all kinds of anxiety, of course. But here's the good news, friends. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
He lives inside you. So you're not alone in this work. And, and, and part of the reason he gives you this gift is to help you deal with that anxiety that comes when we share our faith with others. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. He says, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Don't be anxious, Jesus says, when you're given a chance to share your faith with others. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is with you. He will give you the words. He will give you what you need when you need it. You know, one of the things we love to do when we take new pastors over with us uh, to Africa as we make them preach a sermon on the spot, right? It's kind of a way of hazing them a little bit, right? You know, make them uncomfortable. It usually happens when we go out to a village church, we'll arrive, worship will be in full swing, people are singing and dancing at the top of their lungs, the local pastor greets us, and some of his folks will share their testimonies about how they came to faith. Then Ray Noah, our president, will get up and give his greetings, and then he'll look over at the team. Now, here's the thing, don't make eye contact. You got to learn that. You just kind of, you know, because as soon as you make eye contact, that's it, right? You're going to be the one that has to stand up. I remember the first time it happened to me, right? I didn't know about not making eye contact. And so Ray looks over and I'm like looking at him. He's like, Doug, get up here and, and preach. And I, I didn't have anything prepared. I, I didn't really know what to say. But when I got up to speak, the Holy Spirit gave me a few verses about his great love for the people there and the fact that they were never forgotten. Now, here's the thing. I thought I totally bombed, all right, because they just got really quiet, all right, and over there, that's not how they roll, right, there are a lot, a lot of amens, a lot of hallelujahs, not like it is here, right, where I have to beg for it, right, no, over there, they just do it, right, I mean, they just, it's, and so they were really quiet, and I thought I had bombed, right, but when I sat back down, the local pastor, you know, he just, he pulled me aside, and he said, you know, that one of the real struggles in that region, that particular region, was that the people there do feel forgotten, they feel forgotten by their leaders, by their government, by the world, and so to hear that God remembers them and calls them each by name, which is what I had shared, was powerful. Now, again, I didn't know any of that when I got up to speak, right? I was anxious and nervous, a brand new situation for me. But the Holy Spirit came through, as he always does. And that's what happens when we walk in obedience and we place our lives in his hands. Amen? Yeah. Evangelism, friends, is simply about seizing the opportunities that God gives us each and every day to share Christ with those around us. That's essentially what Paul does. So if you look in Acts 25, starting at verse 13, I mean, the, the two long chapters, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but, but just, just to kind of set the scene here, this is what Paul has, is, is facing, right? When some days had passed, that Paul's, Paul's going to be in Caesarea in, in, in prison, essentially, under house arrest for two years. So we're coming to the end of that two-year time period. So after some days had passed, Agrippa the king and Bernice arrived at Caesarea and greet Festus. And as they stayed there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. Festus was the Roman governor. Agrippa was the king of the Jews, okay? Saying, there's a man left prisoner by Felix, the former Roman governor. Um, and when I was in Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews laid out their case against him, asking for a sentence of condemnation against him, meaning they wanted him executed. I answered them that it was not the custom of the Romans to give up anyone before the accused met the accusers face to face and had opportunity to make his defense concerning the charge laid against him. And so when they came together here in Caesarea, I made no delay, but on the next day took my seat on the tribunal, ordered the man to be brought. When the accusers stood up, they brought no charge in his case of such evils as I supposed, meaning there was no merit 
to the case that they brought against Paul. Rather, they had certain points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who was dead, but whom Paul asserted to be alive. And being at a loss as to how to investigate these questions, I asked whether he wanted to go to Jerusalem and be tried there regarding them. But when Paul had appealed to be kept in custody for the decision of the emperor, I ordered him to be held until I could send him to Caesar. And then Agrippa said, to, by the way, Caesar at this time is Nero. So imagine like the, the situation Paul's facing, right? He's so desperate, he actually wants to go appeal to Nero rather than go back to Jerusalem to the religious leaders. If you know anything about Nero, that's just crazy, right? Anyway, whatever. Nero lit Christians up in gardens and all kinds of crazy stuff. But, you know, that, that's, where, that's what Paul's facing. That's his dilemma here, right? Agrippa said to Festus, I'd like to hear the man myself. So tomorrow, said Festus, you will hear him. On the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp. They entered the audience hall with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. And at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. Festus said, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man about whom the whole Jewish people petitioned me, both in Jerusalem and here, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. But I found that he had done nothing deserving death. And as he himself appealed to the emperor, I decided to go ahead and send him. But I have nothing definite to write to my Lord about him. Therefore, I have brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after we've examined him, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable and sending a prisoner not to indicate the charges against him. So Agrippa says to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Now again, consider all the events that have taken place in Paul's life to bring him to this moment. He's been attacked by a mob, beaten within an inch of his life, right? Um, he's been arrested in a case of mistaken identity. Remember, they thought he was like an Egyptian revolutionary, you know, all that kind of stuff. Falsely accused of desecrating the temple. He had credible death threats lodged against him. He's been under house arrest now for almost two years. And now the entire Roman government of the region, along with the king of Israel and all the prominent leaders of the city, have assembled to hear this man defend his faith in Christ for which he is on trial. What an opportunity! And, and it begs the question, you know, how would you respond if you were given that chance? Would there be enough evidence to convict you as a follower of Jesus Christ? That's worth thinking about. That's worth pondering over a little bit, right? What would you say if you were in Paul's position? Now, Paul clearly had given it some thought, right? He could have defended himself using the finer points of the Jewish law. That was his expertise. He could have demanded eyewitnesses provide evidence of his supposed desecration. He had all sorts of rights as a Roman citizen that he could have asserted, but instead what he chooses to do is simply to share his testimony. Acts 26, verses 2 through 23, Paul says... I consider myself fortunate that as before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope and the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship day and night. And for this hope, I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? 
I, that, that was the expectation. That was the hope that God would do that for them. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I locked up not only many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, and then at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, that was his name before he became Paul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, then in all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And for this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. And to this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here, testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ might suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people and to the Gentiles. Such a powerful testimony, right? And, and when you think about it, all he's doing there is just sharing his story. That's it, right? Don't, don't, he didn't dive into deep theology. He doesn't defend his ministry. He didn't attack Festus for being a corrupt Roman pagan or go after Agrippa for his incestuous relationship with Bernice, who was his full-blood sister, by the way. Nor did he refuse to answer or go on some kind of hunger strike or something like that, right, at the injustice of it all. He simply seizes the opportunity God was giving him, and he shares how Christ met him on the road outside of Damascus and changed his life forever. And how all that had taken place was fully in line with what he believed as a former Pharisee. You know, there's nothing more powerful than sharing your story. All right, I've shared Christ with hundreds, maybe, maybe over a thousand people over the years since I became a Christian. And I got to tell you, I have rarely, if ever, gotten a negative response. Usually it's because I start by asking the other person to share their story with me. And I, and I ask questions and I'm genuinely interested in getting to know them. And because of that genuine interest, what happens? Well, they naturally turn the question back around and say, tell me your story. And I don't know about you, but I can't tell my story without telling you about a guy named Jesus who ambushed me on the campus of the University of Colorado at Boulder and changed my life forever. I mean, my life took a hard right turn, friends, 90 degree angle, right? From where I was headed to, to where I am now. And, 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 and as you share that story, right, they, they, there's no debate. There's no, it's not like I'm debating the Bible with them or debating theology with them or arguing with them. It's not my job to convince them. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. My job is simply to testify. My job is simply to share the story and tell others what Jesus has done for me. Friends, we are not responsible 
for another person's receptivity to the gospel. That's between them and God. It's only the Holy Spirit can convince them of the truth. And, and this should take off all the pressure, right? We're just there to share. This is what Jesus has done for me. It's why the Apostle Paul remains so calm, I think, when he's responding to Festus and Agrippa with his life on the line. Acts 26, 24 through 28. As Paul was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things have escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. It's been on public, right? Public display. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? What do you think Paul's answer is? Absolutely. Come on, right? Paul had total confidence in the Holy Spirit. He knew only the Holy Spirit could change the hearts of the rulers and the authorities before him. Only the Holy Spirit could open the eyes of the spiritually blind, just as he had once opened Paul's eyes in Damascus. Only the Holy Spirit could awaken the hearts of the people to the truth of what Paul was saying. His job was simply to share the story as clearly and as honestly as he could and then let the chips fall where they may. Now let me be quick to add to that, 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 that Paul's confidence in the Holy Spirit doesn't make him a dispassionate observer. It's not that Paul doesn't care about the eternal destinies of Festus and Agrippa and Bernice, quite the contrary. Paul cultivated a deep empathy for those who did not believe. If you know the definition of empathy, you know it literally means feeling the feelings of others, right? It, it means entering, literally means entering into another person's heart, sharing their emotions, right? It's what happens when we grieve with those who are grieving or we celebrate with those who are celebrating, right? It, it, Paul feels the lostness of other people viscerally feels it in his gut, right? It's why he says things like he wishes he would be accursed if it means more of his fellow Jews would be saved. He's, it's why he says he has great sorrow and anguish in his heart for those who are resistant to the gospel. It's why he's willing to be all things to all people so that some might be saved. It's why he's willing to relinquish everything, right? All of his rights, all that he has, all for the sake of this gospel, right? Because that's how deeply he feels the lostness of the people around him. And, and, and listen to how he describes this in Acts 26, 29. I think this is really the key verse to it all, right? I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Paul desired that all would be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Paul loved the world so much he gave his life for the sake of the gospel. Paul willingly became a slave to all with the hope that he might save some. Does that sound familiar at all? Who's that sound like? Jesus. And Paul says, I, I imitate me as I seek to imitate my Lord, right? That's what he's doing here. He's just imitating Christ. Friends, we know God's heart, right? I mean, he's not hidden it from us, right? From the opening pages of scripture, God tells us over and over again that he loves us and he wants a relationship with us, that he loved the world so much he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him might have eternal life. And Jesus doesn't come into the world to condemn the world. No, he willingly lays aside all his power, all his glory, makes himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and submitting himself 
himself to death as a common criminal on the cross. Why does God do all of these things? It's in order to save us. Right? No, no eye has seen, no ear has heard of, of a greater love than the love of Jesus. Amen? Right? I mean, there's, the world has not known a love greater than that of the Son of God laying down His life for unworthy sinners like you and like me. This is how we know what love is. Not that we love God, but that He loved us first and gave His life for us. That's the love that transformed Paul on that road outside Damascus. That's the love that transformed me on that campus up in Boulder at the University of Colorado. And if you are here this morning and you believe in Jesus Christ, then somewhere along the way, that's the love that transformed you as well. And all God is asking from us this morning is that we go and we share that love with others. That's it. That's it, friends. We go and we share that love for others. I was talking to my daughters about this, right? I mean, they just come back from Africa and they're so excited. And one of the things that we're talking about is that as they share their love, this love with their friends, that's, that they're just telling them about this incredible love that God has for them. They don't have to convince their friends. They don't have to know all the Bible verses. They don't have to know all the arguments and all of that. No, 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 no. Just talk about the love of God. Talk about how much he cares for, for, for their, their friends, these friends that they have that are in such crisis and struggling so much. Just talk about the love of Jesus, right? That's what we're talking about. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. And our kids are going to come, be coming back in to join us for our final song. And, and we're going to be singing that great hymn, Blessed Assurance. Y'all know that song, right? This is my story. This is my song praising my Savior all the day long. And that's all God is asking for us to do, friends, as we go from this place, is just share our story and sing our song and praise our Savior all the day long. Don't make it more complicated than it has to be. Don't overthink it. And don't be weird about it. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, don't be weird. I teach evangelism and mission at, the, at Denver Seminary, and I tell my students that all the time. Just don't be weird. If we could just accomplish that, we might be getting somewhere. Anyway, simply pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you his eyes to see the world as he sees it. Ask him to give you his heart for those that you live with or live among or work alongside. Ask him to give you opportunities to share your story with them about how Jesus changed your life, and most importantly, encouraged them, just like Paul did for Agrippa, to give Jesus a chance. God has yet to turn down anyone who seeks him with all their heart. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have entrusted us with this great message, this great story. Each one of us, if we have if we're here today and we're a believer in Jesus Christ or we're watching online and we're a believer in Jesus Christ, our hearts have been transformed by the great love of God. You laid down your life for us, Lord, and we have received that life inside us and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell with us and, and imparted to us all kinds of blessings and all kinds of joy and all kinds of peace. And, and now we get to go out and we get to share those blessings with the world, much like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, on down the line, right? All the great saints who have gone before us, they were blessed to be a blessing. They're blessed to be a blessing. And you've blessed us, God, that we might be a blessing. And the greatest blessing we have is to share what you have done for us with others, God, in the hopes that they may 
place their faith in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we close our service out by singing this great tune, this great song about the assurance we have in Jesus, we know there are so many out there in the world today who do not have that assurance. And they live lives of anxiety and fear and and they're enslaved to all kinds of sin, God, and you are sending us with a message that would set them free. So, Father, help us not to stay quiet. Help us not to hold back. Help us not to hold out and share the good news of the gospel. We pray these things in your name and all God's people said. Let's stand and sing our final song, friends.